welcome to Shop Talk, the real estate show. I'm John Forche, and joining me today is John Michalidis, owner and broker at Real Property Management of Sarasota and Manatee in Florida. Thanks for joining me, John. You're very, very welcome. It's an honor to be on such an esteemed podcast. Oh, man, that's got to be the most enthusiastic intro I've had from a guest. <laughs> you can mail me my check, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right, John. So you've been working in real estate for 30 years. What initially attracted you to the industry? Oh, wow. Okay. I'm going to go into weeds for a second. Anyone that knows what a disc test is, I'm a high D, high I, which means I am basically unemployable. (laughs) (laughs) I must work for myself. I must work for myself. So you can do that in real estate. <laughs> How long did it take you to realize that? Did you did you toil away in other careers before you realized? Well, my mama <laughs> told me that when I was five. <laughs> I come from a, a small business owner background. My dad owned restaurants. So I was literally in a kitchen at five working. Now, I didn't do anything, and but on the weekends, I went in and, quote, unquote, he put me to work. By yeah. the time I'm eight or nine, I'm busting tables, and I actually have a job and get paid by dad. So I started working really young, and I was the kind of kid that went door to door, knocking and asking the old ladies if I could take out their um, garbage for a quarter, and could I wash your car for $2, and I sold um, flower seeds and all kinds of stuff. So I just had that kind of thing in my blood. Yeah. Sounds like you're a a hustler. I I was. Now I'm 57. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty comfortable, huh? My mind is still a hustler, but I try to deploy the talents of other people to actually hustle. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Uh, okay, so so in addition to your real estate experience, you're a licensed attorney, you're an educator, an author. Um, have you seen any of that past experience play into your real estate life? Well, certainly because real estate in many ways, as we know, is a legal profession and we're not lawyers per se, but more so, you know, retail, for example, who's dealing with the kinds of documentation that we deal with in the real estate industry, who's dealing with the kinds of um, um, high responsibility, people's wealth, people's home, people's life savings. So, so clearly, um, we are a legal um, steeped in the law uh, as, as an industry. And, and while I don't practice law, and interestingly enough, I never practiced law. I, I went to law school, left the real estate business, wanted to learn the law, went to law school, sat for the bar because I figured I went through this, I might as well pass the bar. So I'm, I'm licensed to practice law in Illinois. Uh, I went to law school at Northwestern in Chicago. But I never practiced a day in my life. I went right back into um, the real estate business. So I practice, if you want to say that, every single day, you know, because it's invaluable what I learned in law school. Um, 
There you go. So does it all tie in? I think it does. And my, my, my book that I wrote in 07, interesting how that came about. I read a book on the basically the same topic, lease options. And I read the book and thought, man, the principles are very sound. This guy knows what he's doing. And then my second thought was, man, what a poorly written book. <laughs> So I, I actually um, finished the book, uh, wrote the introduction to my book, and 10 months later, it, it was out, Beginner's Guide to Building Wealth, Buying Houses. You can still see that title on Amazon, but it, it's long out of print. <clears throat> wow. And that was about real estate. So again, that goes to your question, sure. do I see this stuff tying together? Well, of course. <clears throat> yeah, it's a nice thing about real estate. It feels like you can bring in experience from pretty much any profession, you know, it can be applicable depending on how you build your business. On the commercial side, if I've known guys that have been in the retail side as a retailer at the executive level and then went into commercial real estate and their client base were retailers because they knew the business inside and out. So I agree with you. So talk about the transition that you made from residential sales to a commercial brokerage. Ah, well, during the boom in the early 2000s, I was flying high, making a lot of money. I had a a business called Chicago Building Exchange. I sold commercial. Um, Typical product for me in Chicago was, and and this is unique to that, that area, picture a city street with a building with maybe three stores on the bottom and 10 apartments up top, that kind of small building. My, my aim was I wasn't going up against the NRTs and the Coldwell commercials. And, and I brought a certain expertise that the house and condo and three flat, that's what you call triplexes in Chicago, three flats that that they didn't have. So my first year out of law school, back into real estate, I was trying to sell condos like everyone else. And there's, you know, I don't know what it was, but it must have been 20,000 real estate agents. And I thought, I've got to have a niche. So it became, I don't trust your um, small building to a house and condo guy. Give it to the small building expert, Chicago Building Exchange, and did well. And then the crash happened. And then my business completely evaporated. My income completely evaporated. Properties I owned personally were foreclosed upon. So I found myself going from making a few hundred thousand dollars a year, I was single, to moving into my mom's third bedroom with my dog Buster with a thousand dollars in my pocket because I was wiped out. Wow. And then I started again. So how'd I get the property management? I didn't forget the question. (laughs) From mom's bedroom, I start flipping short sales. Short sales were big back then. And I start brokering Uh, short sales, helping people to avoid foreclosure by short selling 
their property for them and getting them a release of liability for the balance owed. That's what I did. And I did that for a few years and did okay, made, made money. I moved out of the bedroom and got a one-bedroom apartment, and I was back on track. And um, I was dealing with the banks every day. As I got to call them back at the time, I was dealing with the criminal banking syndicates every day. Prior to this, I never had a negative thought about mortgage industry to bankers. They were just another cog in the real estate sales cycle. But I really got a taste of some incompetence, some negligence, some outright bad intent, and I got burnt. And I thought, you know, all these properties that are going to foreclosure aren't going to be torn down. People are going to be moving into them, but they're not going to be buying them. All these people are getting kicked out of their houses. They're not going to be buying any houses, but they're not all going to go live under a bridge. They're going to be renting. So I thought property management, that's how I can exit this brokerage world and take advantage of the opportunities that the, the criminal banking syndicate provided. So I uh, did some research. I, I had a lot of peripheral experience with property management because I was selling multi-unit buildings. I was having to review leases and rent rolls, but I never managed property per se. Um, so I thought, let's, uh, let's see if there's any franchises because I come from a world of Keller Williams and Century 21s and Colwell Bankers. Well, Real Property Management Inc., out of Salt Lake City, I stumbled upon, good old Google, world's largest property management company, 70,000 plus residential units under management, Inc. 500 company. Ah, let me hitch my trailer to that wagon. So that's the answer to your question. How did I get involved in property management? <laughs> wow, that's a, a circuitous route. Yep. So Best business in the world. Anybody who's out there, new licensee, thinking you're going to chase the big bucks in sales, there's truth in that. But listen, when you've got whatever the fee is, I don't want to talk fees, but if you've got a $100 a month coming in on this property to you, $150, $350, higher-end property, now you've got all these multiple streams of income. In the property management business, you're basically creating annuity contracts for your firm. Money is coming in on a monthly basis. That's job security. In the, in the real estate uh, sales world, I had to start my business over every month because I'd sell my listings and I'd have to go find more listings. And so it was a constant grind and hustle to get properties um, in the property management business you're you're signing one-year contracts and if you do a good job which my firm is highly rated in our area these owners are never going to leave you if you're doing a good job so you've created a contract for income for years and then multiply that out it's small potatoes up front it's a lot of work up front 
But once you get a reputation and a business established, I promise you, I wish I got into property management 30 years ago. I promise you I do. So that, that's, that's my thought. After the break, we discuss how the Florida market has changed over the last 30 years. The CE Shop is the industry-leading provider of online real estate education with courses in all 50 states and D.C. Christine from New York said, I took a similar course in Maryland and I learned 100 times more in my The CE Shop course than in the course in Maryland. I feel so much more prepared to be a real estate agent. Join Christine and thousands of other students in feeling 100 times better prepared for your job as a real estate agent. Save 25% on your order by using promo code SHOPTALK. So how'd you end up in Florida? Sounds like you were up third, in Chicago. Ah, uh, okay. Mama's third bedroom. So why'd you stay in Florida? Well, in all fairness, I had lived here five years um, in the past prior. Yeah. Um, I had li- already lived in Sarasota, Florida um, for five years uh, prior to um, going to law school and um, uh, having my business in Chicago. So when the market crashed and my business evaporated, I have to live somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Mama had a third bedroom and open arms and good a place as any. I had been licensed here in the past. That, that had all expired, but I had to re- re- retest and all of that stuff. But the point is, I knew the market. Um, I knew the market. Ten years prior, I had lived there five years. The market was completely different when I came back. Areas that were in the country were now urban, but that's that's the reason why. It was a place to land, and it's a very low-tax state, Florida. Look, I learned my lesson in the crash. I'm like that uh, that old person that lived through the Depression and, <laughs> and learned their lesson. I learned my lesson. My my finances are extraordinarily tight at this point. I've got a nest egg um, and, and low tax state, no personal income tax in Florida. So um, it's a nice place to be. Hmm. How have you seen the Florida market change while you've been there or since you came well, back? I got back in Florida in 08. And there was a period of doom and gloom. That, that's the time I was working short sales. I was lucky enough to have a, a skill set and a, and a hustle left in me to go out there my first year and, and make money and, and move, move on. God bless my mom for letting me, let me hang out for a while. But um, then the doom and gloom was replaced by prosperity. And quite frankly, now our market is booming. You can't drive through. Sarasota is both a county and the name of the city that's the county seat. So my company is Real Property Management of Sarasota and Manatee. So many towns in Sarasota County, Sarasota, Venice, Osprey, Nicomas, Inglewood, and then Manatee County, Bradenton, Parish, Ellington, so we're talking multiple towns, small cities 
in the two counties, and you cannot drive through our area at this point and not see new apartment complexes, new housing complexes, new condo complexes. There's just people come. We're very Gulf Coast of Florida, our south of Tampa, very, very desirable location for people from all over the U.S., and also from all over the world. I have clients that own property here but live in Italy and Germany and Israel. Um, so we've gone from doom and gloom to prosperity. I'm not worried now. Uh, I, I talk about prosperity and I talk about I'm like that guy who went through the Depression. The difference now is people actually have to qualify for a mortgage. That was not the case in the early mid-2000s. They were giving people mortgages that had no business whatsoever. We've got a lot of cash buyers now, and we've got people that actually have to qualify for mortgages in my market. So might it be overheating? Perhaps. Who knows? But I don't see a crash uh, simply because you actually have to have skin in the game now um, as opposed to back in the early, mid-2000s. Yeah, my last guest that I had on the show actually was saying the same thing. Uh, he's with Keeping Current Matters, who um, they do a ton of research on these these kinds of topics. And he was saying, you know, it seems like the markets around the country are cooling off a little bit, but it's nowhere like it was back in 2008. Yeah, let me tell you, I'm not on the sales side anymore. I do sell, and whenever I say I in this interview, I've got a team. So there's other people, but, you know, it's my company. So I do sell three or four or five properties a year only because they're existing clients that insist. But we, we don't solicit sales. That's not our business. We're strictly a residential property management company. By the way, we don't even do a seasonal rentals, vacation rentals. That's the hotel business. We are in the annual rental business in Sarasota, Manatee uh, County, Florida. And now I forgot what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was just mentioning that it seems like the markets are cooling off rather than crashing. Uh, so over the last two years, well, let's go prior, three, four years ago, a tenant uh, leases are for a year, right? And then they can renew or not. Um, so a tenant, if they decided to move out back, let's say four years ago, woohoo, fantastic. Raise the rent a hundred bucks and someone else will be in there in two weeks. The market was absolutely on fire. You couldn't keep a place vacant and the rents were rising, rising, rising. Well, you can only do that for so many re years before you you know, the, the, the people working at Olive Garden, it, there's a point where they can't afford to live anywhere. So there's a, you can only raise rent so much. So we, we've hit a point over the last two years where that raising the rents instantly when someone moves out isn't necessarily the case. Because we have automatic rent bumps in every renewal, someone that's been there three, four, five years, we might even lower the rent a little bit. Um, when someone moves out. So there is a slowing down of the market there. What used to be a two week is maybe a four to six week. So there's a lengthening of the time on market. 
But let's be realistic. A four to six week rental period is still really good. We were just spoiled by an outrageously hot rental market. And that has cooled off into a stabilized, normalized rental market, which I actually think is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Sure, renters would agree too. So, when you first decided to start into residential property management, how did you, how'd you begin? I bought a franchise. Okay. I was in 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 Mama's uh, bedroom, cold calling ten hours a day, uh, helping people with their short sales. Made I think about 140 grand that year got out of mama's um, uh, bedroom and had some cash and invested it in the franchise. And, you know, they had, I had a lot of real estate experience, so I knew my way around contracts. You know, there's differences, but there's a lot of similarities. I knew my way around tenants, buyers. I knew my way around, um, owners, sellers, you know, the personality types and such. So I had a lot of basic experience. I just had to shift that and tweak it into the property management space. And the training that I received as part of the franchise uh, was very helpful. I, I, I can't talk more highly um, about my franchise or Real, Real Property Management Inc. And um, that's how I made the transition. And, and I'm a big learner. So I'm a member of NARPM, National Association of Residential Property Managers. Uh, That's the National Association of Realtors for Property Managers, so to speak. Small organization uh, compared to NAR, but nevertheless, uh, strictly residential property management focused. I'm actually the president-elect, which means next year I will be the president of our local Sarasota-Bradenton NARPM chapter. So I recommend if you're going to get involved in the property management space, you must uh, join NARPM. And then I go to uh, conferences. Uh, I was just out in uh, Austin, Texas two weeks ago. at something called the PM Growth Conference. And I'm in a mastermind group with uh, 12 other very successful property managers. And we meet four times a year in person and monthly on the phone. So you, you've just got to educate yourself, man. Yeah. Sounds like it. You've mentioned a few times your team. How did you go about building your team? Well, hit or miss it first and then strategically. So I'm a big proponent of what's called the disc test. The disc test is a, personality profile, if you will. It's not a be-all, end-all, but it gives you people's tendencies. So if you have a tendency to be an introverted, detail-oriented person, you probably shouldn't be putting on events, right? Yeah. If you're a what's called a high I, D-I-S-C, that all means something. A high I is the extrovert, the performer, the entertainer, that's the person you should have putting on the event. Probably shouldn't have them in accounting because they'll lose their mind. So uh, get the right people on the bus, our purpose statement, our vision statement, our business philosophy, 
you got to be in alignment with that first and everybody gets a disc and uh, we, you know, if you're not, you might be a great person and we'd hire you if we had you something open in another position. But if you don't fit the profile for the position that we're looking for, it, it would be a disservice to you to allow you into the position because you're going to fail there. Right. So, um, yeah, I've shifted my focus. I have very little personal involvement in my property management company in terms of operations now. So I've got people dealing with the maintenance, dealing with the move-ins and move-outs, dealing with the inspections, all of that stuff. My job is to figure out how to build this business, how to keep uh, people um, um, on track, the visionary, if you will. Um, I still retain the role of doing the initial consultation when an owner prospect inquires about our services that's my job. I speak to them at that point. But once someone comes on board and has chosen us, the, the team takes over. I find it fascinating hiring somebody to do the, to do parts of your job that you no longer want to do. How, how, you know, how do you decide when it's time to pass that off to somebody else? Well, there's two factors, right? Capital. Yeah. If you can't afford it, you can't afford it. So there's no sense thinking about it. You got to suck it up and do the best you can. But as you start building your business and you have, we'll call it disposable income, you got to think, what do I hate? What do I not want to do? What am I actually lousy at? What am I doing a disservice to people by staying in it? Because if you want to build yourself a prosperous, reputable, referable company, you have to do outstanding work. And you cannot do outstanding work unless the individuals doing the work are themselves outstanding. So again, back to that disc profile, but there's Colby, there's other profiles, but the point is, you really need to be getting the right people into the right bus, uh, into the right seat on the bus, because nobody is good at everything. Nobody's a detail-oriented, people-person, driver, customer service expert. Nobody is that. I can fake all of those jobs for a while, but there's a point where you just, it's not who you are. Let the people where that's who they are be who they are. It's, it's instead of banging heads, know who your people are, take them by the hand, and put them where they need to be. It's just so much easier. <laughs> I, I feel like there's a lot of agents who, who wish they could grow a team, but they may not be um, – honest or self-aware enough to know the things they're not good ego, at brother. Yeah. It's ego because the people that tend to start the teams are the high D's, the drivers and the high eyes, the influencers, and they want to be in charge. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm smarter than everybody else in the room. Obviously yeah. I know how to do this better than anybody else. Even when I don't, 
even when I actually suck at many things. Yep. I'm the guy who wants to stick my nose in everybody else's work. If you hire somebody, look, the purpose of hiring someone isn't to tell them what to do. It's for them to tell you what to do. If I got to tell them what to do, it was the wrong hire. Mm-hmm. They should be telling me what to do. It reminds me, um, thinking real rich, that book, um, uh, um, Henry Ford, I believe it was, it could have been Carnegie from Carnegie Steel, was uh, on some kind of trial. He was being sued. And they were trying to uh, show the jury that this is an uneducated person because he wasn't book educated. He was just extraordinarily brilliant mind. So they were asking, you know, what year did Columbus found America? The book kind of questions that he absolutely wasn't answering correctly. However, he caught on in 30 seconds what was going on. He said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me explain something to you. On my desk, I've got a little panel of buttons, and there's 10 buttons. At the end of one button, I press the button, and the world's greatest accountant comes running into my office. I press the next button, and the world's greatest metallurgical engineer comes running into the office. I press the next button. You get the point. If you're going to hold on to your ego, and think that your name has to be plastered. I'm real property management in Sarasota, Manatee. I'm not John Nicolita's property management, right? There's a reason for that. There you go. I can go on and on and on about this. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I I think it's it's an interesting topic because I I do think ego gets wrapped up in it. And I mean, you see it all the time and, and, huge companies, the kind of person who has the drive and can hustle like we were talking about and make something, make a company profitable out of nothing. It's a different kind of person than who can come in and take something and build it even bigger. And we have a tendency to smash people. Yeah. Not on purpose, not out of anger, not out of, of, of ill will, but let's go, let's go, let's move it, move. Well, if you're on this disc profile, if you're an S, the customer service, the warm hearted, the I want to take you by the hand and work through this with you to make sure everything's okay. And you got somebody like me before I learned, come on, you're not moving fast enough. What's going on? And you, 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 they cringe. You destroy your own people. You have to know who they are and you have to. Let them be who they are because I need that soft-hearted customer service person because I'm not it. I need that detail-oriented systems organization, dot the I, cross the T, looking for perfection person because I'm not it. Now, we all have all of it. So don't say, you know, I, I have all of those things and so do you. But everyone has one primary and a secondary and then the other two tend to fall off rapidly. So you've got to know who you are. You've got to know who your people are. You've got to know the roles within your organization and what the best fits between role and, and personnel are. And you've got to be willing to get out of your own way. And, and, and look, 
my job isn't to be the superstar of real property management, Sarasota Manatee. My, jo my job is to create an economic machine that spits out income that I review the reports on a weekly basis and let those people who are much better than I am run it. The goal is to be a passive investor in my own business. It isn't to be the star of the John Michalita show. Hmm. How'd you decide on the disc test? Sounds like you put a lot of stock in that one. You know, why not Myers-Briggs? Because I was with Keller Williams for several years and um, team leader. That's what they call their brokers and such. So uh, Keller Williams puts a lot of stock in the disc test. Um, and I was introduced to it and, um, it works. It's true. It, you know, again, there's other, but they're all after the same thing. Yeah. The, and the disc is real simple. You could give somebody one sheet of paper and in 10 minutes have a very accurate analysis of whether they're likely to fit or not. Then obviously you have to delve into them personally and ethics and all of that kind of stuff. But in terms of general traits, you can figure that out real quick with the disc. Hmm. Very interesting. Going to have to take that test after this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you've changed career focus quite a few times. Do you expect that you'll do it again? Um, I, I, I will quibble with you somewhat. You say I changed career focus several times. I would say I, I changed trajectory within the same space. Okay. I'm a real estate guy. Um, and I'm also an educator, an author. Think about that. Uh, for anyone that knows what any of this means, I'm a John Maxwell certified trainer. I'm a Zig Ziglar certified trainer. Matter of fact, I just spent last weekend with my brother, Tom Ziglar, Zig Ziglar's son who runs Ziglar Corp now. So um, I'm not there yet, but once real property management of Sarasota and Manatee, once I find myself as a true passive investor in my own company, I will, uh, same space, but get more into uh, speaking roles, teaching roles, that kind of thing. I do it now, but it's on the side here and there. It's not a business. It's not a focus. Yeah. Hmm. <clears throat> All right. As you can see, I'm very shy and I don't like speaking. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I've had to really prod you to get you to answer these questions. <laughs> all right. My last question is one I ask of all of my guests. If you could go back to the beginning of your career, what is one thing you would have done differently? Hmm. The first thing that came to mind after 10 seconds of thought was, starting property management earlier. But that said, everything I've ever done, everything I've ever learned, because, you know, when, when my owners talk to me about, hey, I'm thinking of selling, I'm thinking about buying another property, I have a wealth of not just book learning, but experience that I can counsel. And 
And, and that attorney training, although I don't practice um, law, that, that counselor aspect is deep in my bones. So I don't think I'd change anything. It's hmm. a good answer. All right, John. Well, thank you for your time. It was great having you on. My pleasure. Great podcast. I wish you much, much success. God bless you. Thank you, John. That's it for this episode of Shop Talk. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, you can subscribe to us on your podcast player of choice or review us on iTunes. Join us next time for discussion about hot markets and how you can keep from boiling alive. Shop Talk is a production of the CE Shop.